welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. If you want to be on it, the full number, you can join me. 800, or I'm sorry, 877-973-7425. As always, very importantly, if you text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, you can get all the links to find me on social media, the podcast, the live stream, you name it. Uh, text Eric to 33777. As promised, had folks uh, waiting on hold. Paul hung on, and so I want to get to Paul's phone call out of the gate. Welcome to the show, Paul. How are you? Great. Thanks for taking my call, Eric. Sure. Hey, I just wanted to to um, add uh, Governor Yunkin, in a sense, did the same thing that uh, uh, Kemp did in keeping Trump pretty much at an arm's distance. But but, uh, you know, the, the one thing with, with DeSantis that I think is is absolutely amazing that Trump can't do is DeSantis has been able to get right in the middle of some really tough cultural issues and not have it backfire on him. And Trump can't do that. Trump screws up every time he gets in the middle of it when it comes to social or cultural issues. You know, Junkin actually is interesting um, on how he's been able to navigate. And, you know, like Trump, for example, said he was endorsing Yunkin, and Yunkin's response was, uh, we appreciate the endorsement. Uh, we're, we're doing this ourselves and didn't have Trump on the campaign trail, didn't want him on the campaign trail, uh, thought he was would hurt D- Yunkin on the campaign trail. And he handled it very well. Uh, he, he did a very good job. What, what's so intriguing here, and Paul, thanks very much, and, and for your patience as well, is so I, I'm I'm meeting with these donors, and some of them really want Yunkin to run for president, and you will note how quiet it has gotten out there. There was so much buzz that Glenn Yunkin would run for president. Uh, he was on the campaign trail, campaigned for people like Kerry Lake, J.D. Vance, and others that clearly he was out there. He could self-fund. He's got a lot of money. He could do it. And it's been completely quiet. Like, there's not even a rumor out there that he's vetting staff to run for president. There's nothing. Like, for example, I know of the DeSantis team. They have been out there looking for staff to build a presidential operation. They've been talking to pollsters. They've been talking to fundraisers. They've been talking to strategists. They've been talking to design teams. They've got super PACs that are being created. Uh, Nikki Haley was the same way. Mike Pence is the same way. Tim Scott is the same way. There's nothing, no buzz like that that I've been able to detect or discern on Glenn Youngkin, which is kind of interesting um, that that it's faded that way. But he really did uh, thread uh, pretty good the this this Trump path forward, um, and it potentially could be replicated by other people. Uh, but Kemp really is the gold standard there because. He, Trump was not actively trying to defeat Glenn Youngkin. Trump was actively trying to defeat Brian Kemp, and he lost. Now, I want to pivot. Uh, I haven't haven't taken Paul's phone call because I got to get into something. I want to play you some audio. This is J.D. Vance. He was on Fox uh, with Jesse Waters yesterday. 
We have to remember, it's a small amount of money. We're talking about a town of 5,000 people plus some surrounded folks uh, who've been affected by this. And we're also talking about money uh, that very may, well may have been allocated in previous programs before. Think about this, Jesse. If we can bail out the Wall Street banks, if we can send $120 billion uh, to the country of Ukraine, surely we can spare some for some of our own citizens whose town has been affected through no fault of their own. And that's the important thing, Jesse. These guys did not invite this. The, the residents of East Palestine did not encourage this train disaster. They did nothing and have no fault. Their town is struggling because of the, the actions of others. We've got to make sure that they don't sink uh, in any further than they already have. His is a fair point that if we can spend money on Ukraine, we should be able to spend money on East Palestine. He went on from there to say, and it was it was too messy to get the addition uh, from what he said, but he said essentially, until we can deal with East Palestine and these people, he doesn't want to hear a word about cutting Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. That's one of the views within the Republican Party, which is, is way more multifaceted than the Democratic view right now. The Democrats are very much, uh, hell no, we'll make no changes whatsoever, ever. The prevailing view, however, comes from a familiar voice of the Republican Party. I'm glad to see the Republican majority saying we need to use this debt ceiling to start uh, us back in the direction of fiscal discipline. But look, we all know where the real issue is in terms of long-term debt for the United States. And that is that while I, I respect uh, the speaker's commitment to take Social Security and Medicare off the table uh, for the debt ceiling negotiations, we've got to put them on the table in the long term. And right now, uh, President Biden's policy is insolvency. I mean, we're, we're looking at a debt crisis in this country over the next 25 years that is driven entitlements. by entitlements, and nobody in Washington, D.C. wants to talk about it. Mike Pence is not wrong. Credit where credit is due. Joe Biden said, no, the credit is not to Joe Biden, it's to Mike Pence. Uh, Joe Biden said Republicans want to kill Social Security. He was really hoping they would take the bait. Some of them did. Some Republicans think that Social Security to this day is an unconstitutional program and we should get rid of it. Most, however, don't take that view, but recognize it needs to be reformed. Mike Pence took the bait. He wants to have the conversation. Uh, he wants Republicans to engage. There's the J.D. Vance view that I understand uh, that until we can do these other things, we don't need to deal with it. There's the Donald Trump view, which is the Democrats' view of do not touch entitlements. But to Mike Pence's point, and he found the perfect way to talk about it, what Joe Biden and Donald Trump are proposing is insolvency of the Social Security system. They are proposing insolvency. They are proposing to bankrupt the system by refusing to reform it. Semaphore has a story out. A bipartisan group of senators is talking about raising the retirement age on Social Security. This is a group led by Angus King of Maine and Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. They want to gradually raise the retirement age to 70 as part of their legislation to overhaul Social Security. 
Other options on the table include changing the existing formula that calculates monthly benefits from one based on the worker's average earnings over 35 years to a different formula that's based instead on the number of years spent working and paying into Social Security. The plan also includes a proposed sovereign wealth fund that could be seeded with $1.5 trillion or more in borrowed money to jumpstart stock investments. If it fails to generate an 8% return, both the maximum taxable income and the payroll tax rate would be increased to ensure Social Security stays on track to be solvent another 75 years. Mike Rounds, Republican of South Dakota, member of the group, previously said raising payroll tax cap was under discussion. Only the first $160,000 of earnings are uh, subject to the payroll tax. If Congress fails to step in, retirement benefits will be cut roughly 20% for seniors starting in 2032, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Something has to be done. If you want to preserve Social Security, now I never thought Social Security would be around for me. Most people my age and younger have never put our trust in the idea that Social Security would be there for us. But if Congress doesn't do anything, it's going to go away a lot quicker, and there are things they could do. You know, the, the absurdity of it all is how reasonable in hindsight George Bush's plan was, and he deserved credit for tackling it. George W. Bush got reelected in 2004, one of the only times, well, the only time, actually, the only time since 1988 that the Republicans won the popular vote for the presidency. And George W. Bush immediately decided he needed to tackle Social Security. And it was the Republicans who defeated him. It was the Republicans who were scared to death of touching it. They came off a big win, and they were scared to use their power to do anything to save the system. And George Bush's plan was actually really freaking simple. If you were at or near retirement age, you were guaranteed full funding of your Social Security benefits for your life. If you were further away from retirement, a portion of your money would go into the traditional system and a portion would go into a wealth fund that was managed by the Social Security trustees to be a portfolio mix of bonds and stocks that would move from most stocks to uh, more stocks, less bonds, to more bonds, less stocks, the closer you got to retirement age. And if you were just starting out, you would 100% be in that system and not the old system. And you would have a guaranteed retirement payment that the government would match through investments. It was a really simple system. It was a system that would have relied on the free market. And so the annualized growth rate would have probably exceeded uh, what, what current benefits will have. In fact, if you take someone who was just starting out of the workforce, say they're 25 years old in 2005, when George Bush proposed this, Right now, they would have a massive pile of money in their retirement uh, Social Security portfolio. They've all been deprived of that. The rate of return from Social Security is less than what that plan would have generated. It was a pretty simple plan. And what Bush insisted, emphasized, and the Republicans refused to acknowledge was that if you were at or in Social Security, nothing would change. Your benefits would not change but they were too scared to deal with it. And now we're here. Kudos to Mike Pence for raising this issue. Donald Trump is taking the extreme position of the Democratic Party on this. No change, never, ever do nothing with Social Security. 
That's Joe Biden's position right now, too. And actually, even Joe Biden is more willing to make some changes than Donald Trump, now a recipient of Social Security. Fact of the matter is, though, we got to do something. If you want to keep Social Security around, you have to do something to it. You have to reform it. Mike Pence, back to his audio, said Joe Biden's plan is insolvency. Insolvency. He's right. If we do nothing, it's going to go bankrupt. It's going to go bankrupt. We're not going to have it. You can reform it. You can phase it out for younger voters. You can improve the likelihood of a higher rate of return in doing so. You cannot preserve the current status quo. Joe Biden, for his part, is opposed to raising the retirement age. Emmanuel Macron in France has suggested raising the retirement age. He's got senior citizens rioting in the streets, literally. It's not going to happen. But you could cut benefits. Do you really want to cut benefits? You could increase taxes uh, by increasing how much more of your paycheck uh, is withheld above, uh, what is it, $140,000 or um, or $460,000. You could also suddenly means test it so the rich people who paid into it now don't get their money out of it. Warren Buffett doesn't collect his Social Security. That's kind of cruel. They've paid into a system that was supposed to pay them back. But the status quo, we can't, we cannot keep the status quo. And Mike Pence should be commended for raising this subject at a time so many Republicans are scared to take on the Democrats on this issue. It puts the GOP on defense. They should be on offense on this issue. The Democrats don't have a plan to save Social Security. They have a plan to bankrupt it. Republicans want to reform it, preserve it, and expand it for future generations to generate a higher yield and rate of return for retirement. And it's the Democrats standing in the way. Good for Mike Pence. That's what a leader looks like, taking on the difficult topics and trying to win on them. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets, and he's used them. He had, like, kid sheets, and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because, I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen-size sheets, and they got put in our closet, and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness, my seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm I'm grown up now and... Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. Got a lot of folks lined up on the phones. We should get to those calls. If you want to be a part of the program, 
877-973-7425. Let's go first to Debbie. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you're my source of truth. Well, thank you. Um, I just um, I just wanted to tell you that I, I am 71 years old. Um, I am a nurse by education. I'm working in a non-clinical job at this point. Um, but I, I totally supported George uh, W. Bush on his proposal. I would be, I was 50 when he was in my 50s when he was president, and I would be in such better financial shape. Not that I'm not okay, but I would be better had that had um, his ideas been supported and i truly wish we had done that and um yeah and i also i i don't disagree with raising the retirement age Mm -hmm. Uh, we're living healthier and longer and um i my friends i have friends are always saying when are you going to retire and i don't really have a plan right now because i like my job and i can plan to continue working Good for you. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I and Debbie, look, I, I appreciate the phone call. Thank you very much for the kind words as well. I don't, I mean, I maybe a time will come where I think I've, I've done all I can do. I've grown as far as I can grow. I'm, I'm done. But I, I, I mean, short of them deciding, well, your ratings suck, kid. You got to be off the radio when, it, when I'm old. I don't, I don't want to retire. I love this three hours that I get to spend with you guys today. I mean, think about this. So last Thursday, and by the way, if you are in the Atlanta Young Republicans, I, I owe you an apology. I was supposed to speak to the Young Republicans uh, in Atlanta on Thursday night, and I was so sick. Uh, I made it through the show on Friday, but I couldn't on Thursday. That was the first day I have missed work uh, because I was – I missed work because other people have been sick, but I hadn't taken a sick day for myself since January of 2020. Uh, before COVID hit, I had been on a trip and, and came back with something that might have been COVID. Uh, I was in Los Angeles, and I missed several days of work. That's it. That is the last time I have missed work for being sick until uh, Thursday. Last week, I had to leave halfway through the show on Wednesday because a stomach bug hit me in the middle of the show, which is horrible. I was just terrible on Thursday. But I can't conceive, other than something like that, I can't conceive of not wanting to work. I love hanging out with you guys every day. I mean, it's it's like a friends and working with friends and family every day. Sure, yeah. I mean, you get the obnoxious hate mail from some people, and you get the occasional angry caller. But by and large, you guys are so wonderful to hang out with nationwide every day. Uh, I'm just I I can't imagine not wanting to ever do this. I I actually get anxiety thinking, what if I had to do something else? I don't I don't think I could. I used to be a lawyer, used to be a political consultant, used to run campaigns. I've always been a writer. I don't, I don't want to do anything else other than hanging out with you guys. So I, I, I understand raising the retirement age. I don't plan on retiring. I'm, I'm going to be working. Uh, and people do live longer, healthier lives now. But I know some people do hit 65. They're like, I'm ready to hang it up and go travel. And God bless those people for wanting to do that. When we come back, more of your phone calls, 877-973-7425. Welcome back. It is the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Lots of calls on Social Security. Uh, Among other things, let us go back to the phones. Dan, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Oh, hey, Eric. Uh, Great to talk to you. 
uh, appreciate everything you do. Thank you. You've become my talk show of host, uh, or my host talk show go-to guy for the last uh, few years. So, thanks very much. Appreciate you standing in there for Rush. Um, yeah, I, uh, your Social Security reform. I was a big proponent of George Bush's uh, options. Unfortunately, that didn't go well. But uh, the military actually did something similar. I told your talk, uh, your screener that uh, they transitioned totally away from the defined benefit. That's not true, though. Uh, the, their program now consists of a defined benefit, but they added a defined contribution portion, and they reduced the defined benefit part, uh, and they transitioned that in. Uh, and some folks had to make a decision which which way they wanted to go, but now it's all a defined. You know, you come in, you got the defined benefit, which is less than it was, but you got the defined contribution portion, which goes with you, which is nice. Hmm. You know, it's funny you should say that. So I, I gave a speech last night um, in Oconee County, Georgia, uh, to their Republican Party, and a guy came up to me afterwards and was talking about what the uh, military has done uh, with its uh, retirement program and, and probably should be a model for moving forward. He was he was uh, complaining that his, his, his entire family's military service and his sons are ready to get out because they're tired of the uh, woke – uh, re-education stuff that happens too much where they're working uh, within the military, but that the the retirement stuff uh, they they thought it w- was probably a model for moving forward. I, we got to innovate on this stuff, Dan. I mean, it just makes so much sense to me that e- the status quo will go bankrupt. And in fact, I mean, the the military was dealing with one of those situations on the horizon. Uh, given how many people within the government are in the military, they could run into pension problems in the future. So. Makes sense. Uh, very much appreciated. Yeah, Thank you very absolutely. much for the kind words. All right. You take care. You too. Thank you. All right. Uh, Dion, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate your show. Um, I used to use this traffic, um, this station for traffic, but now you got me hanging on. I appreciate and it. And I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, and I want to say that, not to switch topic, but I want to say that it seemed to me, if you agree with me, that uh, Republicans and Democrats have switched roles. In the past, it used to be the Reagan Republicans used to support um, democracy worldwide. You know, they dealt with world affairs. But nowadays, they seem to be more domestic and it was the Democrat who dealt with domestic issues. Now I'm hearing things like um, Biden is over in Poland while we have um, train wrecks in, in Palestine. And things like the border or the support for Ukraine. So back in the days, I know way like a century ago, I know the Republicans were the Democrats and the Democrats were Republicans. And to me, it seems slowly like the, they're switching back up. And for now, I would say that Biden or the, or the Democrats are taking the full role of both parties until the switch is complete. You know, Dion, that's actually I've I've been thinking a lot about that in the last uh, several months, and in particular in the last week over 
the conversations about the president going to Ukraine and, and the, this very binary position of he can either go to Ukraine or he can go to East Palestine. He can't do both um, when he should. And you're right. Back during the 1980s, it was the Democrats who accused Ronald Reagan of being so obsessed with the Soviet Union, he forgot the poor in this country. And it's exactly the opposite now. You've got Republicans attacking uh, the Democrats for being so obsessed with Ukraine, they're forgetting the poor in this country. Why can't we do both? We should. I don't. And, and you know, I had this conversation last night with, with a with a guy that sometimes I think, am I the one who's lost my mind? How is it that portions of the Republican Party? are they sound and operate exactly like the Democrats used to operate. You know, there used to be this uh, Democratic contingent of the blame America first crowd. And now you've got the, the, some of these these Republicans are doing that. So some of some of my party, they think that we're at fault in the world. I mean, listen to the anti-Ukraine portion of the GOP. We're the ones who caused the war. We're at fault for, for ever considering Ukraine as part of NATO, which we rejected, by the way. It is this weird dynamic, and, and the, the GOP used to be considered the party of the college-educated voter and the wealthy, and the Democrats were the party of the, of the blue-collar voters, and now it's the GOP vying for blue-collar voters, and the Democrats are increasingly white, woke, uh, and highly educated and wealthy. It, it is a complete role reversal over time, and part of it is because we're dealing with uh, political realignment of this country. We see political realignments in the country uh, every hundred or so years. We saw it in the early 1900s. We're seeing it now here a quarter of the way into the 21st century. We're seeing politi a political realignment. And this this is about the third major political realignment. It seems a little unsettling. It seems discombobulating. Uh, but it, it's a thing that happens. Now, we're not a, we're not a huge – we're not a very, very old nation, so we haven't seen a lot of them. But it does happen. Uh, 100, 125 years – it you see political realignments. We're we're having one happening in this country right now. Nothing to be scared of. It's something to be mindful of. Alan, you're going to be next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome to the program. Hey Eric, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, I've got an idea, and uh, I don't know if this will work or not. But basically, um, I retired at 63. I started taking Social Security at 65, and I'm now 68 years old. And uh, I'm one of those people that uh, did well. Uh, while I was working and saved my 401k and bought some stocks and bonds and different things. And I've got enough money to retire and get to the end line without uh, necessarily needing Social Security. So, you know, just like they want to take it away from Warren Buffett, so we're, Warren and I are in the same boat, basically. They want to take the money away from us. Um, my thoughts are, okay, uh, if you want to stop giving me Social Security, just uh, give me a one-time payment for what I paid into the system and no interest, no anything, just give me what I paid in the system, and I'll invest it and make, you know, probably better returns than, than they will. Probably and, so. Uh, that might be one way, and then put money into those that need it. Look, I, I, that that makes too much sense, Alan, unfortunately. Um, they can't do it because it sounds like common sense. You know, there, there's, there is one of the government bonds you can buy that has a 10% rate of return on it, and... You, you, you take your money that you put into Social Security 
and you you take it out and you buy those government bonds, you're getting a higher rate of return from buying those government bonds uh, than you are. It, it, it makes way too much sense. You come out on top and the government's not going to let you do that. What they would do to you if they ever decided to do this, of course, is tax any any money you make off of it, and put it back well, into the system. Of course, but you're right. I mean, you'd still come out ahead based on the tax rate. Alan, th- thanks for the for the comment. It, it it is insane to me that we can't figure out how to fix the system. It's got to be fixed. We cannot. The status quo can't be preserved, and yet uh, that's what they want to do. It's bizarre. Uh, Leroy, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, I'm driving down the road. I hope you can hear me. Now, I called it in. This is a little bit off of, uh, it's about Social Security. I've been, I'm 80 years old. I've been paying Social Security since 1958. Of course, forced into their program uh, by law. Mm -hmm. I'm currently working because I like to work. I'm paying into the system every week, 7.85%, as well as my employers paying the same thing. At the end of the year, because I'm working, I'm being punished. And I get the privilege of including 85% of my Social Security benefits, and this includes, it includes my wife as well. It throws us into an upper tax bracket to where I have to give back a substantial portion of what I have been paid in benefits on an annual basis. What's fair about that? Nothing at all. Uh, it's, it's not a fair system at all. It, it makes no sense. It's- this law has uh, been there since 1983. I don't, I don't remember what Congress did that. But the uh, winners and losers of, of the, the mean assessing, the numbers have never been changed for inflationary purposes. Mm-hmm. And you, it's a disincentive for an old man like me to work. I mean, I want to work just, to, just because that's what I do. Right. I don't want to sit down. But, but I'm about to to quit because every every year I get to write them uh, a pretty good sized check and I'm getting tired of it. Look, I, I, you're not the first person to complain about this this setup. It, it disincentivizes, particularly at a time we need more and more people working because we don't have a good labor supply. We're penalizing retirees who come back into the workforce. Leroy, listen, thanks very much for for that. Um, helpful, and it just it's it's infuriating to me that we are in a situation where you do get penalized, as Leroy was saying, uh, given the 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 longer you stay in. They try to force you into some level of time. I'm not retiring. I, I mean, they, they may take the microphone away from me, but I don't want to retire. Uh, I do want to tell you about Eden Pure right now. I need to. Uh, EdenPureDeals.com is the website. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put Eric in on the front page of the site, E-R-I-C-K, you can get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. Now, what is it? It's an air purifier, so it gets rid of the pollen and the dust, the mildew, the mold that's floating in the air. But more importantly, it is an odor eliminator. So I tell the story all the time, and it's a true story. I was on the golf course, had a very nice cigar. And I was trying to just get the last few puffs on it. And I opened my door and just given the wind and the back of the car was open, it just sucked all the smoke into the car. And my wife was infuriated. My my uh, Yukon smelled like a cigar store, which she does not like. But I got the Eden Pure Thunderstorm out and you can plug it into a car with a US, just a USB cord. 
And so I plugged it in, turned it on, closed up the car, walked away, came back later. You can't smell. I mean, I, I swear on the Bible, you cannot smell that cigars. We can't can't smell it. Took eliminated the odors. It eliminates uh, smoke odors. It eliminates pet odors, litter box odors, frying, cooking odors. You name it. Uh, I've got rental cars that have stunk that people have been smoking something in them and fired it up, cleaned up the rental car. Hotel rooms as well. You you get a hotel room. That's why I always travel with mine just to be on the safe side. Get three of them for less than two hundred dollars. Uh, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric, uh, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric. You get free shipping. You get three thunderstorms, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your RV, your basement, or your travel bag like I do at EdenPureDeals.com. Hello, friends. Hello. Well, we need to discuss one more major topic of the day. You may not know this, but it's election day in parts of the country. One of those parts of the country is Chicago. So I I, I got some hate mail the other day. I refer, referred to uh, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, as Beetlejuice, which someone was very offended, thought I was being racist. Uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've used that comparison for four years. It's a meme on both the left and the right have used this. I thought it was very funny, but uh, someone was deeply offended and wanted me to know about it. Uh, regardless... She's probably going to lose, which is incredible. If it happens, she will be the first mayor in 40 years to not advance to a runoff or win re-election outright in a primary. And the issue is crime. Lori Lightfoot uh, got soft on crime in Chicago. And there's been a voter backlash. I, you know, I got to read you part of this from the Politico. Jonathan Martin is writing this story, and it's remarkable that this is in here. Listen to this paragraph. Polling from the campaigns and outside groups shows that crime's by far the biggest driver of voters. With some surveys I've seen indicating that well over half the electorate call it the dominant issue facing the city. What's more striking and what's at the heart of Lightfoot's offensive is that some of the same polls indicate that defunding the police is highly unpopular with black voters. Uh, duh. It is. In fact, he goes on to say it's hardly just a Chicago story with violent crime and particularly carjackings surging after the pandemic. Questions of law and order have become central in cities around the country, helping to propel a former police officer, Eric Adams, to lead New York City and handing Republicans enough victories in New York State last year to claim the House majority. It's a national phenomenon, Lori Lightfoot told Jonathan Martin. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Lightfoot has been bad on crime for four years in Chicago, and voters are furious. Only now is she attacking uh, one of the other people in the race, claiming he's too soft on crime. And here's the irony here. The other guy is. Lori Lightfoot is bad on crime. Voters are embracing a guy who had been involved in union politics and state Democratic politics, and the guy is solely running on he will stand with the police and make, make Chicago safe again. He also happens to be white. And that is ruffling the feathers of black and Hispanic voters in Chicago who are used to the Rahm Emanuel's and the William Daly's of the world, but they kept Chicago safe. 
Lori Lightfoot has seen this third world crime wave in Chicago that's driving black and Hispanic and Asian and white communities uh, crazy by being so soft on crime. And she's now got a progressive in the race who may make it into the runoff against the front runner. She, by the way, she's not the front runner. And this this young progressive has galvanized other young progressives, and he is really adamantly charging hard against the police and supports the defund the police movement. And Lightfoot hilariously is now talking about this guy. Uh, his last name is Johnson, the, talking about how bad he would be on crime as opposed to herself. And... It's it's just hilarious. Um, Garcia Johnson is catching on with the city's younger, more left-wing Hispanic voters, a group of which gathered Saturday night in Humboldt Park neighborhood. An array of Hispanic Democrats took turn at the microphone. They hammered other candidates. They ignored the sitting mayor. And I don't know that it's going to work well for her. What is also interesting, however, is Lori Lightfoot is such a bad politician. She's alienated the governor. She's alienated most of the major politician, Democratic politicians in the state of Illinois. She is very difficult to work with, according to these people. They don't particularly like working with her. Uh, the other guy uh, who is running and the front runner right now, his name is Paul Vallis. He's the former Chicago school's chief executive. Uh, he was also uh, ran for lieutenant governor and other other uh, races in Chicago. And he is he's probably going to be number one headed into the runoff. Whoever wins the runoff, of course, will win because they're Democrats and no Republican can get elected in Chicago at the citywide level. What's so fascinating here, though, is that crime continues to be the big issue. Crime has been a dominant issue. Crime is going to continue to be an issue. And it's an issue the Republicans can continue to fight on. It's an issue the Republicans continue to win on when they make it a big issue. They shouldn't be shy of it. And they should note that Lori Lightfoot might go down in flames tonight in Chicago when the polls close because she was so soft on crime Democratic voters are willing to reject her and go with a white moderate or someone perceived as being a moderate who at least promises to keep them safe in their city. Do not be surprised when voters go with the hardcore anti-crime person because they want to feel safe.